Chapters twenty and twenty one of Cousin Maud by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty. The Sexton. The Methodist Society of Laurel Hill had built themselves a new church upon the corner of the common, and as a mark of respect had made Black John their sexton. Perfectly delighted with the office, he discharged his duties faithfully, particularly the ringing of the bell, in which accomplishment he greatly excelled his episcopal rival, who tried to imitate his peculiar style in vain. No one could make such music as the negro or ring so many changes. In short, it was conceded that on great occasions he actually made the old bell talk and one day toward the last of september and five months after the events of the preceding chapter an opportunity was presented for a display of his skill the afternoon was warm and sultry and overcome by the heat the village loungers had disposed of themselves some on the long piazza of the hotel and others in front of the principal store where with elevated heels and busy jack-knives they whittled out shapeless things or made remarks concerning any luckless female who chanced to pass by while thus engaged they were startled by a loud sharp ring from the belfry of the methodist church succeeded by a merry peal which seemed to proclaim some joyful event it was a musical rollicking ring consisting of three rapid strokes the last prolonged a little as if to give it emphasis what's up now the loungers said to each other as the three strokes were repeated in rapid succession what's got into john and those who were fortunate enough to own houses in the village went into the street to assure themselves there was no fire it can't be a toll they said it's too much like a dancing tune for that and as the sound continued they walked rapidly to the church where they found the african bending himself with might and main to his task the perspiration dripping from his sable face which was all aglow with happiness it was no common occasion which had thus affected john and to the eager questioning of his audience he replied can't you hear the ding dong dell don't you know what it says listen now and the bell again rang forth the three short sounds but the crowd still professed their ignorance and pausing a moment john said with a deprecating manner i'll tell the first word and you'll surely guess the rest it's maud now try em and wiping the sweat from his brow he turned again to his labour of love nodding his head with every stroke no ear at all for music he muttered as he saw they were as mystified as ever and in a loud clear voice he sang maud can see maud can see it was enough most of that group had known and respected the blind girl and joining at once in the negro's enthusiasm they sent up a deafening shout for maud de vere restored to sight john's face at that moment was a curiosity so divided was it between smiles and tears the latter of which won the mastery as with the last hurrah the bell gave one tremendous crash and he sank exhausted upon the floor saying to those who gathered round will em hear that think in france how do you know it is true asked one and john replied she writ her own self to tell it and sent her love to me think of dat send her love to an old nigger and john glanced at the bell as if he intended a repetition of the rejoicings surely maud de vere across the sea never received a greater tribute of respect than was paid to her that day by the warm-hearted john who the moment he heard the glad news sped away to proclaim it from the church tower the letter had come that afternoon and as john said was written by maud herself 
the experiment had been performed weeks before but she would wait until assurance was doubly sure ere she sent home the joyful tidings it was a wonderful cure for the chance of success was small but the efforts used in her behalf had succeeded and she could see again but what of louis asked dr kennedy who was listening while his wife read to him the letter what of louis have they done anything for him they had tried but his deformity could not be helped and with a pang of disappointment the father was turning away when something caught his ear which caused him to listen again you don't know maud wrote how great a lion louis is getting to be he painted a picture of me just as i looked that dreadful morning when i stood in the sunshine and felt that i was blind it is a strange wild thing but its wildness is relieved by the angel-faced boy who looks up at me so pityingly louis is perfect but maud oh i can scarce believe that she ever wore that expression of fierce despair strange as it may seem this picture took the fancy of the excitable french and ere louis was aware of it he found himself famous they come to our rooms daily to see le petit artiste and many ask for pictures or sketches for which they pay an exorbitant price one wealthy american gentleman brought him a daguerreotype of his dead child with the request that he would paint from it a life-sized portrait and if he succeeds in getting a natural face he is to receive five hundred dollars think of little louis kennedy earning five hundred dollars for he will succeed the daguerreotype is much like nelly which will make it easier for louis this was very gratifying to dr kennedy who that day more than once repeated to himself five hundred dollars it's a great deal of money for him to earn maybe he'll soon be able to help me and mercy knows i shall soon need it if that woman continues her unheard-of extravagances more city company to-morrow and i heard her this morning tell that jezebel in the kitchen to put the whites of sixteen eggs into one loaf of cake what am i coming to and dr kennedy groaned in spirit as he walked through the handsome apartments seeking in vain for a place where he could sit and have it seem as it used to do when the rocking-chair which mattie had brought stood invitingly in the middle of the room where now a centre table was standing covered with books and ornaments of the most expensive kind since last we looked in upon her maud glendower had ruled with a high hand she could not live without excitement and rallying from her grief at parting with her child she plunged at once into repairs tearing down and building up while her husband looked on in dismay when they were about it she said they might as well have all the modern improvements and water both hot and cold was accordingly carried to all the sleeping apartments the fountain head being a large spring distant from the house nearly half a mile gas she could not have though the doctor would hardly have been surprised had she ordered the laying of pipes from rochester to laurel hill so utterly reckless did she seem she was fond of company and as she had visited everybody so everybody in return must visit her she said and toward the last of summer she filled the house with city people who vastly enjoyed the good cheer with which her table was always spread john's desire to see the fun was more than satisfied as was also hannah's and after the receipt of maud's letter the latter determined to write herself and let miss devere know just how things was managed in order to do this it was necessary to employ an amanuensis and she enlisted the services of the gardener who wrote her exact language a mixture of negro southern and yankee a portion of this letter we give to the reader after expressing her pleasure that maud could see and saying that she believed the new miss to be a good woman but a mighty queer one she continued the doin's here is wonderful 
and you'd hardly know the old place there's a big dining-room run out to the south with an expansion table mighty nigh a rod long and what's more it's allus full of city stuck-ups and the way they do eat i hain't churned nary pound of butter since you went away why bless your soul we has to buy do you mind that patch of land what the doctor used to plant with corn well the garden sass grows theirs now and t'other garden raises nothing but flowers and strawberries and thar's a man hired on purpose to tend em he's writin this for me thar's a tower run up in the north-east end and when it's complete she's goin to have a what you call em something that blows up the water oh a fountain thar's one in the yard and if you'll believe it she's got one of carrie's rotary pumpin things that folks are runnin crazy about and every hot day she keeps john a turnin the engine to squirt the water all over the yard and make it seem like a thunder shower thar's a bathroom and when them city folks is here some on em is a washin and thar all the time i don't do nothin now but wash and iron and if i have fifty towels i have one but what pesters me most is the wide skirts i has to do up miss kennedy wears a hoop bigger than an umbarrel they say miss empress who makes these things lives in paris and i wish you'd put yourself out a little to see her and ask her for me to quit sendin over them fetched hoops there ain't no sense in it we've got jiggers in every chamber where the water spurts out besides turnin the engine john drives the horses in the new carriage dr kennedy looks poorly and yet madam purrs round him like a kitten but i knows the clauses thar she's about broke em of usin them maxims of his and your poor marm would enjoy it a spell seein him paid off but she'd pity him after a while i do and if things continues to grow us i shall just ask priors for him in my meetin elder blossom is powerful at that my health is considerable good but i find i grow old yours with respect and regrets hannah p s i don't believe that t'other beau of yourn is none the happiest they live with miss kelsey yet but there's a story round that she's a-gwine to marry again and the man don't like de vere and won't have em thar so if the doctor should run out as i'm afraid he will what'll them lazy critters do nelly's got to be kinder soslin in her dress and he has took to chawin tobacker by the pound they was here a spell ago and deaf as i be i hearn em have one right smart quarrel he said she was slatterly or something like that and she called him a fool and said she most knew he wished he'd took you blind as you was and he said kinder sorry like maud would never have called me a fool nor wore such holes in the heels of her stockings i couldn't hear no more but i knew by her voice that she was cryin and when i went below and seen the doctor out behind the woodshed a figurin up says i to myself if i was a univarsalar i should believe they was all on em a gittin thar pay but bein i'm a methodist i don't believe nothin 
this letter which conveyed to maud a tolerably correct idea of matters at home will also show to the reader the state of feeling existing between j c and nelly they were not suited to each other and though married but seven months there had been many a quarrel besides the one which hannah overheard nelly demanded of her husband more love than he had to bestow and the consequence was a feeling of bitter jealousy on her part and an increasing coldness on his they were an ill-assorted couple utterly incapable of taking care of themselves and when they heard from mrs kelsey that she really contemplated a second marriage they looked forward to the future with a kind of hopeless apathy wholly at variance with the feelings of the beautiful dark-eyed maud and the noble james de vere their love for each other had increased each day and their happiness seemed almost greater than they could bear on that memorable morn when the husband bent fondly over his young girl wife who laid a hand on each side of his face and while the great tears rolled down her cheeks whispered joyfully i can see you darling i can see twenty one home again little more than two years have passed away since the september afternoon when the deep-toned bell rang out the merry tidings maud can see maud can see and again upon the billow another vessel rides but this time to the westward and the beautiful lady whose soft dark eyes look eagerly over the wave says to her companion it is very pleasant going home they had tarried for a long time in italy both for louis's sake and because after the recovery of her sight maud's health had been delicate and her husband would stay until it was fully re-established she was better now roses were blooming on her cheek joy was sparkling in her eye while her bounding step her ringing laugh and a finally rounded form told of youthful vigour and perfect health and they were going home at last james louis and maud going to hampton where mrs de vere awaited so anxiously their coming she did not however expect them so soon for they had left england earlier than they anticipated and they surprised her one day as she sat by her pleasant window gazing out upon the western sky and wondering how many more suns would set ere her children would be with her it was a happy meeting and after the first joy of it was over maud inquired after the people at laurel hill it is more than four months since we heard from them she said and then mrs kennedy's letter was very unsatisfactory the doctor she hinted had lost his senses but she made no explanation what did she mean why returned mrs de vere he had a paralytic shock more than six months ago oh poor father cried louis while mrs de vere continued it was not a severe attack but it has impaired his health somewhat you knew of course that his house and farm were to be sold our house our old home it shall not be and the tears glittered in louis's eyes while turning to mrs de vere maud whispered softly his wife has ruined him but don't let us talk of it before louis the lady nodded and when at last they were alone told all she knew of the affair maud glendower had persisted in her folly until her husband's property was reduced to a mere pittance there was a heavy mortgage upon the farm and even a chattel mortgage upon the furniture and as the man who held them was stern and unrelenting he had foreclosed and the house was to be sold at auction why has mother kept it from us said maud and mrs de vere replied pride and a dread of what you might say prevented her writing it i think i was there myself a few weeks since and she said it could do no good to trouble you the doctor is completely broken down and seems like an old man he cannot endure the handsome rooms below but stays all day in that small garret chamber which is furnished with your carpet your mother's chair and the high-post bedstead which his first wife owned 
maud's sympathies were roused and fatigued as she was she started the next morning with her husband and brother for laurel hill louis seemed very sad and not even the familiar waymarks as he drew near his home had power to dissipate that sadness he could not endure the thought that the house where he was born and where his mother had died should pass into the hands of strangers he had been fortunate with his paintings and of his own money had nearly two thousand dollars but this could do but little toward cancelling the mortgage and he continued in the same dejected mood until the tall poplars of laurel hill appeared in view then indeed he brightened up for there is something in the sight of home which brings joy to every human heart it was a hazy october day the leaves were dropping one by one and lay in little hillocks upon the faded grass the blue hills which embosomed the lake were encircled with a misty veil while the sunshine seemed to fall with a sombre light upon the fields of yellow corn everything even the gossamer thistletop which floated upon the autumnal air conspired to make the day one of those indescribable days when all hearts are pervaded with a feeling of pleasurable sadness a sense of beauty mingled with decay is this home cried maud as she stopped before the gate i should hardly have recognized it it was indeed greatly changed for maud glendower had perfect taste and if she had expended thousands upon the place she had greatly increased its value beautiful home beautiful home it must not be sold was louis's exclamation as he gazed upon it no it must not be sold returned maud while her husband smiled quietly upon them both and said nothing maud glendower had gone to an adjoining town but hannah and john greeted the strangers with noisy demonstrations the latter making frequent use of his coat skirts to wipe away his tears can you see marm see me as true as you live he said bowing with great humility to maud of whom he stood a little in awe so polished were her manners and so elegant her appearance maud assured him that she could and then observing how impatient louis appeared she asked for dr kennedy assuming a mysterious air old hannah whispered he's up in de roof at the top of de house in dat little chamber where he stays mostly to get shed of de music and dancin and raisin up cane generally he's mighty broke down but the sight of you will purt him up right smart you'd better go up alone he'll bar it better one at a time yes go sister said louis who heard the last part of hannah's remarks and felt that he could not take his father by surprise so leaving her husband and brother below maud glided noiselessly upstairs to the low attic room where by an open window gazing sorrowfully out upon the broad harvest fields soon to be no longer his a seemingly old man sat and dr kennedy was old not in years perhaps but in appearance his hair had bleached as white as snow his form was bent his face was furrowed with many a line of care while the tremulous motion of his head told of the palsy's blighting power and he sat there alone that hazy autumnal day shrinking from the future and musing sadly of the past from his armchair the top of a willow tree was just discernible and as he thought of the two graves beneath that tree he moaned oh katie matty darlings you would pity me i know could you see me now so lonesome my only boy is over the sea my only daughter is selfish and cold and all the day i'm listening in vain for someone to call me father father the name dropped involuntarily from the lips of maud standing without the door but he did not hear it and she could not say it again for he was not her father 
but her heart was moved with sympathy and going to him laid her hands on his head and looked into his face maud matty's maud my maud and the poor head shook with a palsied tremor as he wound his arms around her and asked her when she came her sudden coming unmanned him wholly and bending over her he wept like a little child it would seem that her presence inspired in him a sense of protection a longing to detail his grievances and with quivering lips he said i am broken in body and mind i've nothing to call my own nothing but a lock of matty's hair and louis's little crutches the crutches that you cushioned so that i should not hear their sound i was a hard-hearted monster then i ain't much better now but i love my child what of louis maud tell me of my boy and over the wrinkled face of the old man broke beautifully the father love giving place to the father pride as maud told of louis's success of the fame he won and the money he had earned money dr kennedy started quickly at that word but ere he could repeat it his ear caught a coming sound and his eyes flashed eagerly as grasping the arm of maud he whispered it's music maud it's music don't you hear it louis crutches on the stairs he comes he comes matty's boy and mine thank heaven i have something left in which that woman has no part in his excitement he had risen and with lips apart and eyes bent on the open door he waited for his crippled boy nor waited long ere louis came in sight when with a wild glad cry which made the very rafters ring he caught him to his bosom silently maud stole from the room leaving them thus together the father and his son nor is it for us to intrude upon the sanctity of that interview which lasted more than an hour and was finally terminated by the arrival of maud glendower she had returned sooner than was anticipated and after joyfully greeting maud started in quest of louis don't let her in here whispered the doctor as he heard her on the stairs don't let her in here she'd be seized with a fit of repairs go to her she loves you at least louis obeyed and in a moment was in the arms of his stepmother she had changed since last they met much of her soft voluptuous beauty was gone and in its place was a look of desperation as if she did not care for what she had done and meant to brave it through still when alone with mr de vere and maud she conversed freely of their misfortunes and ere the day was over they thoroughly understood the matter the doctor was ruined and when his wife was questioned of the future she professed to have formed no plan unless indeed her husband lived with nelly who was now housekeeping while she went with her she could find a place to this arrangement mr de vere made no comment he did not seem disposed to talk but when the day of the sale came he acted and it was soon understood that the house together with fifty acres of land would pass into his hands louis too was busy singling out every article of furniture which had been his mother's he bought it with his own money while john determining that t'other one as he called katie should not be entirely overlooked bid off the high post bedstead and chest of drawers which once were hers many of the more elegant pieces of furniture were sold but mr de vere kept enough to furnish the house handsomely and when the sale was over and the family once more reassembled in the pleasant parlour dr kennedy wept like a child as he blessed the noble young man who had kept for him his home maud glendower too was softened and going up to mr de vere she said if i know how to spend lavishly i know also how to economize and henceforth none shall accuse me of extravagance 
these were no idle words for as well as she could she kept her promise and though she often committed errors she usually tried to do the thing which her children would approve after a day or two mr de vere and maud returned to hampton leaving louis with his father who in his society grew better and happier each day hannah who was growing old went from choice to live with maud but john would not forsake his master nobody knew the kinks of the old place like himself he said and he accordingly stayed superintending the hall and coming ere long to speak of it all as his it was his farm his oxen his horses his everything except the pump which hannah in her letter to maud had designated as an engine twas a mighty good thing in its place he said and at a fire it couldn't be beat but he'd be hanged if he didn't believe a nigger was made for something harder and more sweaty like than turnin' that crank to make believe rain when it didn't he reckoned the lord knew what he was about and if he was a mind to dry up the grass and the arbs it wasn't for carry nor nary other chap to take the matter into their own hands and invent a patent thunder shower john reasoned clearly upon some subjects and though his reasoning was not always correct he proved a most invaluable servant old hannah's place was filled by another coloured woman sylvia and though john greatly admired her complexion as being one which would not fade he lamented her inefficiency often wishing that the services of janet hopkins could be again secured but janet was otherwise engaged and here near the close of our story it may not be amiss to glance for a moment at one who in the commencement of the narrative occupied a conspicuous place about the time of Maud's blindness she had removed to a town in the southern part of new york and though she wrote apprising her young mistress of the change she forgot entirely to say where she was going consequently the family were ignorant of her place of residence until accident revealed it to j c de vere it was but a few weeks preceding Maud's return from europe that he found himself compelled to spend a sabbath in the quiet town of fayette not far from his hotel an episcopal church reared its slender tower and thither at the usual hour for service he wended his way there was to be a baptism that morning and many a smile flitted over the face of matron and maid as a meek-looking man came slowly up the aisle followed by a short thick resolute scotchwoman in whom we recognize our old friend janet hopkins notwithstanding her firm conviction that maud matilda remington blodgett was her last and only one she was now the mother of a sturdy boy which the meek man carried in his arms hot disputes there had been between the twain concerning a name mr hopkins advocating simply john as having been born by his sire while janet a little proud of the notoriety which her daughter's cognomen had brought to her determined to honour her boy with a name which should astonish every one at the time of maud's engagement with j c de vere she had written to know what j c was for and jedediah Botham pleased her fancy as being unusual and odd indirectly she had heard that maud was married to mr de vere and gone to europe and supposing it was of course j c she on this occasion startled her better half by declaring that her son should be baptized john joel jedediah Botham, or nothing it was in vain that he remonstrated janet was firm and hunting up maud's letter written more than three years before she bade him write down the name so as not to make a blunder but this he refused to do he guessed he could remember that horrid name there was not another like it in christendom he said and on the sunday morning of which we write he took his baby in his arms and in a state of great nervous irritability started for church repeating to himself the names particularly the last which troubled him the most 
many a change he rang upon it and by the time he stood before the altar the perspiration was starting from every pore so anxious was he to acquit himself creditably and thus avoid the caudal lecture which was surely to follow a mistake but he should not make a mistake he knew exactly what the name was he'd said it over a hundred times and when the minister taking the baby in his arms said name this child he spoke up loud and promptly jerking out the last word with a vengeance as if relieved to have it off his mind john joel jedediah loosebottom that's for me was j c s involuntary exclamation which however was lost amid the general titter which ran through the house in an agony of anxiety janet strove to rectify the mistake while her elbow sought the ribs of her conjugal lord but the minister paid no heed and when the screaming infant was given back to its frightened father's arms it bore the name of john joel and nothing more to this catastrophe janet was in a measure reconciled when after church j c sought her out and introducing himself informed her of the true state of affairs then you ain't married to maud after all said the astonished janet as she proceeded to question him of the doctor's family it beats all i never heard on it but no wonder livin as we do in this out-of-the-way place no cars no stage no post-office but twice a week no nothin this was indeed the reason why janet had remained so long in ignorance of the people with whom she formerly lived fayette as she said was an out-of-the-way place and after hearing from a man who met them in new york that maud and louis were both gone to europe she gave laurel hill no further thought and settled quietly down among the hills until her monotonous life was broken by the birth of a son the john joel who as she talked with j c slept calmly in his crib so you ain't married to her she kept repeating her anger at her husband's treacherous memory fast decreasing i kinder thought her losin my money might make a difference but you're just as happy with nelly ain't you the question was abrupt and j c coloured crimson as he tried to stammer out an answer never you mind returned janet noticing his embarrassment married life is just like a checkerboard and all on us as much as we can do to swaller it at times but you would have been happy with maud i know j c knew so too and long after he parted with janet her last words were ringing in his ears while mingled with them was the bitter memory it might perhaps have been but there was no hope now and with an increased air of dejection he went back to his cheerless home they were housekeeping nelly and himself for mrs kelsey had married again and as the new husband did not fancy the young people they had set up an establishment of their own and j c was fast learning how utterly valueless are soft white hands when their owner knows not how to use them though keeping up an outside show he was really very poor and when he heard of the doctor's misfortune he went to his chamber and wept as few men ever weep as hannah well expressed it he was shiftless and did not know how to take care of himself this james de vere understood and after the sale at laurel hill he turned his attention to his unfortunate cousin and succeeded at last in securing for him the situation of bookkeeper in a large establishment in new york with which he was himself remotely connected thither about christmas j c and nelly went and from her small back room in the fifth story of a new york boarding-house nelly writes to louis glowing descriptions of high life in the city and louis glancing at his crutches and withered feet smiles as he thinks how weary he should be climbing the four flights of stairs which lead to that high life and now with one more glance at maud we bring our story to a close it is easter and over the earth the april sun shines brightly 
just as it shone on the Judean hills eighteen hundred years ago. The Sabbath bells are ringing, and the merry peal which comes from the Methodist tower bespeaks in John a frame of mind unsuited to the occasion. Since forsaking the Episcopalians, he had seldom attended their service, but this morning after his task is done, he will steal quietly across the common to the old stone church where James Devere and Maud sing together the glorious Easter anthem. Maud formerly sang the alto, but in the old world her voice was trained to the higher notes, and to-day it will be heard in the choir where it has so long been missed. The bells have ceased to toll, and a family group comes slowly up the aisle. Dr. Kennedy, slightly bent, his white hair shading a brow from which much of his former sternness has gone, and his hand shaking but slightly as he opens the pew door and then steps back for the lady to enter, the Lady Maud Glendower, who walks not as proudly as of old. She, too, has been made better by adversity, and though she will never love the palsied man, her husband, she will be to him a faithful wife and a devoted mother to his boy, who in the square old-fashioned pew sits where his eye can rest upon his beautiful sister as her snowy fingers sweep once more the organ keys which tremble joyfully as it were to the familiar touch. Low, deep-toned, and heavy is the prelude to the song, and they who listen feel the floor tremble beneath their feet. Then a strain of richest melody echoes through the house, and the congregation hold their breath as Maud de Vere sings to them of the Passover once sacrificed for us. And now, shall we not leave them thus, with the holy Easter light streaming up the aisles, and the sweet music of the Easter song dying on the air? End of chapters 20 and 21 End of Cousin Maud by Mary Jane Holmes Recorded by Céline Major.